0: Let's, uh, let's stand and let's pray, bright youth. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we open up your word, that our hearts would be prepared, God, that it would be that good soil upon which your word lands, God, and that there would be true growth, true spiritual life, eternal life that would come as a result of this. So, Father, I pray, send your spirit and... Speak today into all of our hearts, Jesus. Pray this all in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, who here was, well, who here knows what the Soviet Union is, right? A lot of us came from the Soviet Union. I recently watched a documentary about why the Soviet Union collapsed. And I'm not going to explain why it collapsed, but it was a fascinating documentary. But one of the things they did is when things were de- destabilizing in the Soviet Union, their economy was becoming really bad. Now, we recently kind of had some economically turbulent times, right? What did the federal government do when money, we had money problems? Print more money, right? We printed more money. So, the Soviet Union actually had some tactics close to that, but it was the complete opposite. But they tried to help. They actually wanted to reduce the amount of money in the pool, uh, in the pool of money, right? They've, it's like the opposite of inflation. And the way they did that is they announced randomly, like, just like, hey, tomorrow, the all the dollar bills all the bills that you have the hundreds the 50s and everything that you guys have they will no longer be legitimate they will not count for anything but we're going to give you three days to exchange the money that you have for the new money right and you might think well how does that help it helped because well it was supposed to help because there was a catch they said you can only exchange up to a thousand of the new bills. So, meaning, so let's say you spent your whole life in the Soviet Union working really hard and saving up all this money, right? And let's say you collected a thousand rubles over your lifetime, right? And that's your you know retirement plan, that's everything. The day they announce that, you can only exchange a thousand of your ten thousand rubles for a thousand of the new rubles. And then you might ask, well, what do I do with, you know, the other 9000 that I have? They said, nothing. So that money became completely worthless. The other $9,000 didn't count for anything. So it didn't matter how rich you were before. At that day, when they announced that there's, everything's switching over and you can only have up to 1,000 rubles maximum, I'm just making up a number, but it was something like that. Everybody lost a lot of money who had money, and everybody was kind of equalized. Why do I bring up this example? Because there were people, I was talking to my dad about I'm like, hey, this is fascinating Soviet you know, Union <clears throat> documentary. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember when they did that. He said there are so many stories of people who would just have stacks of this money. They spent their whole lives, you know, working towards, the, you know, saving up all this money, and they spent their whole lives... And when it would counted for nothing, they just went into the bathroom, plastered these, these bills all over the bathroom, and they just hung themselves. Because that was their whole life. And their whole life just disappeared in one single day. Why do I bring up this story? Is because this there's a similar situation that actually happened to somebody like this in the Bible. His name Was Lot, right? And Lot was the nephew of Abraham. We started Father Abraham. And so Abraham was called out of a pagan family. God said, Hey, trust in me, go out. I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Abraham goes out by faith. Abraham had a brother who passed away, and his brother had a son, Lot. And so, Abraham adopts Lot, and he takes him with him, takes him under his wing, and so they begin to travel together. So, it's very kind of interesting, because technically, Lot actually came from, you know, he had a God-fearing mentor, a God-fearing father, right? And we read that he was abundantly blessed, Genesis 13, 5 says, And Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Who here remembers the story about Lot? Mostly, right? So he was his nephew, and and they were they're, and they're living together, and their possessions became so multi- so great that they couldn't live together. They needed more grass, right, because... Most of their wealth was in form of flocks. And so what ended up happening is they kind of separated. Where did Lot go? You guys remember? Near what city? Sodom, right? Sodom, bad place, a wicked city. So he goes near Sodom and he becomes very wealthy. And Abraham goes in the opposite direction. Eventually, God says, the cry against Sodom has been has been so bad, I'm going to go destroy it because of all the injustice that's done there. And Abraham tries to plead with God, says, God, but what if, you know, there's like 50 righteous people in Sodom, will you really destroy it? God's like, no, I won't. And Abraham pulls off the most wild negotiations with God. He says, how about 45 righteous people? How about 40? And he just, he kept like bargaining God down, you know, all the way to 10 righteous people. And God in his patience said, I will not destroy it even if there's 10 righteous people. So God goes, sends his angels to Sodom. Angels just think they're, they appeared like men. They go into the city of Sodom the, the people of Sodom seen them. They seen that they went to Lot's house. And so at, in the evening, the, all the men of the city of Sodom came to Lot's house and they said, hey, release your guests because we want to have fun with them, right? And if you know the story, you know what I'm talking about. And Lot says, no, please don't do that. And he you know, offers his daughters. Instead, the angels blind the people. And the next day, when Lot is about to leave, he's lingering around, right? He's kind of taking his time. And so the angels grab him out of there and they say, run, just flee, right? Don't turn around. Um, and it says, until you get to the mountains. So they start escaping to the mountains. God begins to rain fire upon Sodom. His wife, Lot's wife, turns around and she turns into a, a pillar of salt. So he loses his wife and and. Lot has to live somewhere like in the mountains, right, with his daughters, which we'll talk about in a second. So that is the story of Lot. And he had a lot, and at the end of the day, he's seen all of it perish in one day, essentially. But you know what's interesting? You know what's interesting, guys? The Bible still calls him righteous. And it's like, okay, that's good, but I, when I read that, I'm like, I, that's not the kind of life I want to live. You see, Lot is in heaven, but the time that he spent on earth was like hell, and he's a very intriguing character, and the question I'm asking is, why did he turn out the way that he did? And and you can argue that law is the perfect example of a Christian who doesn't make faith-based decisions, right, following God by faith, but instead kind of followed his own flesh. He was carnal, right? Carnal means, you know, carne asada, that means meat, right, of asada. Carnal means fleshly, right, meatly. So he's fleshly, meaning living by his flesh instead of by the Spirit of God. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at passages and see how Lot compares with not just Abraham, but ultimately with Jesus Christ, whom Abraham points to, right? Because Abraham is just a shadow of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus did live by complete faith and obedience and trust in the Father. And and even Abraham was a failure in comparison to Jesus, but Abraham still can be a good example to us as, you know, the book of Hebrews and James states that those men of God can be examples to us. So today's message is seven signs of a carnal Christian. And I want to argue that in a sense that all of us we are tempted to be carnal all the time, right? It's, it's like this, you know, this gravity that's always kind of luring and pulling us in that direction. So, the first thing that we see about Lot is that he was passive. He was passive. He didn't initiate the resolution of the problem between him and Abraham. So, remember when their flocks were getting big, who came and who started the conversation? Go ahead, shout it out. Abraham, right? Abraham started the conversation. Je- uh, Genesis 13, verse 8. Then Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, I will go to the left. And then we see Lot picks a land, and then verse 18 says, So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, but, which are a Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So <clears throat> Abraham is the one who initiated the problem. He's seen the problem, and he says, I need to do something about this. Uh, comes up to Lot and just begins to talk. Whereas Lot, we don't know what happened to him, right? We, he's being super passive about it. It didn't bother him, and we will see this passiveness as a pattern in Lot's life. First sign, carnal Christians do not get bothered by the things that they should be bothered by. Where are you? Do you have things in your life that, that should be bothering you spiritually, but they're just not? You're just, you're just living side by side with them your whole life, but it's church Right, youth? We cannot be passive about our spiritual state. We can't. That's the one thing we can't be passive about. The second thing we see is Lot, he acted on what was best for him, meaning what was most profitable instead of what he knew was right. So we just read, Abraham comes to Law and says, hey, there's too much, you know, we don't have enough space. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And it says that, verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley. And if we can actually get the... Bible uh, on the screen, Genesis thirteen ten, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the Garden of the Lord and like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from one another. And verse 13, and Lot moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the lord. Now, what was the right decision for Lot to do? Let me ask you. You can please shout it out. We're we're a small enough crowd where we can have a conversation. What should have Lot done? I hear some mumbling, but not loud enough. Exactly. Thank you, Ab. He should have let Abraham go first. Think about it. Abraham took him under his wing. He was an orphan. He was nobody. He had nothing. And Abraham helped him become successful. Abraham helped him get all that he has, right? He made him who he was. And Abraham, and guys, you need to understand the culture they lived in. It's not the culture that we live in now. In our culture, we understand we should respect elders and all of that, and we should do that, and we should do that more and more. But in their culture, They had that 10 times more. They had to obey their elders. They had to respect their elders. They had to make way and say, no, you go first. What Lot should have done, and I'm sure he knew this, is he should have said, Abraham, what are you talking about? you, you, you're my father, right? You pick what to do. You, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You pick. That's the right thing for me. I will humble myself. I'm very grateful for everything you've already done for me. Lot should have done that. But instead, what what do we see? We see he looks Around he sees the green pastures. You know what the green pastures meant to him? It just meant dollar bills, right? That that that's all that was. That's all he could see is all those green pastures, all the flocks he's gonna have, you know, all the wealth he's gonna earn from that. And so instead of deferring to Abraham, you think Abraham didn't know that Lot was picking the better spot? Abraham, being the wealthy businessman that he was, you didn't think he knew all those things? Abraham humbled himself by faith. Whereas Lot, he knew what was right, but instead he followed what was profitable. He followed what was best. But notice, at the end, all these decisions that promised a better life, at the end of the day, they ended up being a curse for Lot. At the end of the day, he ended up losing everything. Everything burned, and he had to move and live in a mountain. It would have been better for him to just lose everything right away on that day when he separated from Abraham and just went and to go live in the mountain to start fresh. He would have at least had a head start on his poverty that he was about to face. Abraham, on the other hand, he truly prospered, not just financially, but more importantly, he followed God by faith. That's why we call him the, the father of, of the faith, right? And, and so he became an integral part of God's plan and God's story. And through him, the Messiah of the whole world, Jesus Christ, who came to save sinners through Abraham, through his faith, the Messiah entered into the world. What a legacy. So first, we see that Lot was passive. Two, we see that he chose what was profitable instead of what he knew was right. Three, instead of running from sin, Lot decided to live around it, right? Look at where he moved, Genesis 13, 12. While Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom, now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. You think Lot didn't realize that the men of Sodom were wicked before he moved there? You think, like, before he, you think he just randomly, like, picked a spot and just moved there, set everything up, and then he realizes who they were, like, oh man, oh, what a bummer. Well, it's too hard to move, so I'm not going to move anything, right? No, he knew everything. He knew who these people were. He knew what they did before he even moved. And yet he still chose to move there because he thought i'm going to get rich right i'm going to be wealthy it didn't say that lot participated in the sin of the sodomites but he lived there and you know what this looks like today yeah i'm i'm going to go hang out with them but i'm not i'm not going to do i'm not going to do what they do i'm not going to laugh at their jokes i'm not going to participate in those things but i just you know it's it's fun i i want to be there right i'm not going to i'm not going to participate in their sins or all their sins or the really bad sins i'm just going to be there with them i'll watch it i'm i'm going to try to help them right that's the excuse but oftentimes that's literally just an excuse in reality let's be honest we just want to have a fun time we don't want to be alone Let me ask you this, why don't you bring those friends to church instead? Instead of hanging out with them as they sin, why don't you bring them to church? Why aren't they the ones making excuses to come to church with you instead of the other way around? And don't get me wrong, I believe in being missional in your relationships. If you have been born again, God has given you that new life. I believe in building relationships for the sake of being missional with unbelievers if that is truly your number one undisputed, without a doubt, actual intention, not just an excuse. But if, you're, but if you're trying to be missional and have fun and hang out, then you're just lying to yourself. You know that. And you don't really love your friends the way you claim you do, because the most loving thing is to help lead someone to God so that they would actually come to know Him and be saved. You know, that's it's what it is. is we we want to get as close to that warm fire as we can, but at the end of the day, we just end up getting burned, right? It, you know, a lot of couples, when they're dating or they're engaged, they, they ask, well, how far can I go? How, how far can we go until it becomes a sin? Guys, that's the wrong question. That's completely the wrong question. The question should be, how do we stay as far away from sin as possible? And that's the way Jesus actually thought as well. He said, if your eye causes you to stumble, rip it out. Throw it away from you. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Get rid of it. It's not like try to find a middle ground. No, completely get rid of it. How do you stay as far away from sin as possible? And, you know, look at what happened a lot. In chapter 13, we see that he settles among the cities and moved his tent as far as Sodom. And then in chapter 19, before, right before God destroys Sodom, he's probably living inside Sodom. So he moves next to it, among the cities. And then at the very end, he's already living inside. Well, it's just so much easier. It's so much more profit. I don't need to walk as far and this and that. Yeah, they're weird. The people are bad. But you know what? I don't participate. I don't really talk to them. It's just a life of compromise. I'm not saying, church, I'm not saying we should go into a cabin, live in a monastery, run away. Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. What I'm saying is the people around us, the worldly people, those who don't know Jesus, they need to look at us and they need to say, you know what? I'm not sure what it is, but something's different about this person. We're not called to leave the world or to not talk to people who are not Christian, no, at all. In fact, we should befriend them. We should love them, serve them. But in a loving way, they need to understand that we are not like them on a fundamental level because we have different priorities in life. They have to see that. Do the unbelievers in your life see that? Or are you compromising and trying to get as close to sin as possible without actually sinning? And notice, if we look at the life of Lot, he never actually ended up doing any sort of good to them. Remember, Abraham negotiates with God? He was there for years, I'm sure. There weren't 50 righteous people. There weren't 40, 30, 20. There wasn't even 10. Lot made no disciples. There was no one who came and began to believe in the one true God that Lot believed in. There was nobody. He left no impact spiritually. He could have, guys, think about this. Lot could have saved the entire city. But because his whole life was full of compromise, There wasn't even 10 righteous people to save the city from destruction. Lot, Abraham, on the other hand, he actually did go and do good to Sodom, and we're going to see that in a second. Point number four, carnal Christians, Christians who aren't just walking by faith, are people who get caught up in the troubles of this world because Lot was living so close to sin he actually ended up suffering because of it in genesis 14 through 1 through 16 we actually read a story kind of an interlude between all of that before god destroys sodom so lot is living next to sodom and sodom had an alliance with a few other cities there's the kings of sodom now back in the day they didn't have huge countries they had just a city Okay, you guys following? And the city had a king, and that was your own little country. Now, you'd be friends, you know, with other kings, so you can kind of partner up, and they have little armies, you know, a couple of hundred, maybe a couple of thousand people, that's it. But that's just the way kind of the kingdoms worked at that time. There was no one king that ruled everything. It was impossible at that time. Now, there were a group of five other kings who had a kind of a leader as well, at one point, they came to Sodom and they conquered it. They conquered it, and they said, "Well, now since we've conquered you, we're either going to kill you or you're going to pay us taxes." Like obviously, I'm going to pay you taxes, right? So, every year, the big, powerful king would come. It's like this bully, you know, uh, uh, you know, in the lunch line every day. Hey, come here, you know, shake him upside down, get all the coins. Right, okay, run off on your way, right? I hope, you, I hope you have enough for like a little PB&J, right? So you don't starve and die because I still need money from you tomorrow, right? So they got sick and tired. Law, uh, Sodom, the king of Sodom, got tired of paying these taxes to these other kings and they got together with five other kings. They said, hey, forget this guy. Let's go rebel against them. We're, we're, we can take them, right? So they get together and they said, no, we're not paying you taxes, Right? And and the king said, oh yeah, you're not paying us taxes. So the other king gets his five friends, and they come down and they just conquer all of Sodom. They decimate them, they destroy their armies, and they said, well now that we did that, we're gonna actually take all of you guys, we're gonna make you all slaves, we're gonna take all your possessions, all of you, you know, if you can't, if you can't pay us taxes the normal way, we're gonna use you to earn money as slaves. So they capture all of them, and they're already walking away with them, right? They're traveling away. Abraham hears about this. Abraham says, I need to go stop this. And so, trusting in God, he goes, he has his own army, and he goes and he actually defeats the army of the five kings that attacked Sodom. He destroys them, God helps him, and so he essentially frees and saves the king of Sodom and all the people that lived in Sodom. And and all their stuff is preserved, everything. Like, uh, Abraham is truly, like, the hero here, right? And it's just amazing, right, that Lot, who was living so close with them, right, he was living in the world, he got caught up in the drama because he, too, was captured. He, too, was actually taken away by the armies, and he was, too, led to be a slave, but Abraham, the one who was walking by faith, was the one that actually didn't just get caught up in the drama of Sodom, but he actually helped and solved the drama. He stepped in and helped and saved Sodom. He saved Lot, right? That's what we do. Friends, Guys, girls, when we walk by faith, we will be those who help those who are worldly instead of getting caught in their own drama and their own problems. If you spend a lot of time in places where there's a lot of trouble, trouble will find you. And do we not have enough of our own problems already? lot needed to be saved by faith. Abraham. Instead of doing good to Sodom, he was caught in its problems. So recapping, Lot was passive. Two, he looked for what was profitable instead of what was right. Instead of running away from sin, he tried to live as close to it as possible. And four, he got caught up in the troubles of this world. The next one, I'm not going to say it right away, but here's what we see happening. Abraham negotiates with God. God says, I'm going to go destroy Sodom. He tries to negotiate, brings out the, the price down to ten righteous people. The angels, in the form of human beings, they come to Sodom. And remember, we said that the Sodomites, they seen the angels come in. They said, ooh, fresh meat, right? I mean, it's, it's disturbing, right? <clears throat> but here's what happens. Genesis 19.4, if we can get that on the screen. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, if you know what that word know means, then you know. If you don't know, you don't know. Verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him, and he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, look at his plan. Behold, I have two daughters that have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, as he was trapped and threatened. Lot says something just completely crazy, right? And we don't know, like, what his intentions were, right? Like, did he actually mean what he said, and was he actually ready to give away his daughters to the wicked men in exchange for these two angels? Or was he just lying and hoping to, like, buy himself some time to run back into the house? I mean, I, I don't know, but... As horrible as this sounds, guys, as horrible as this sounds, I think that law, you could argue, made the best decision possible in that moment, considering all the factors. Now, what I'm not saying is that it was a good decision. What I'm saying is, think about this, in your life, every decision that you ever made, at that time when you were making this decision, you always pick number one option, right? You've never picked number two. Like, oh, this is the second best option, and I'm going to go with that. Like, you, you'll never do that unless it's, like, cheaper, right? And then you're like, well, then that is actually the best option for you considering your financial circumstances. So law made the best decision possible, and then you might ask, well, what did he do which was wrong, right? The problem is is not that he made this decision or that decision there in that moment. The problem is, Lot had made many, many, many decisions leading up to this situation, and this situation was a lose-lose situation. And that's the fifth characteristic of a carnal Christian they put themselves into lose lose situation meaning it doesn't matter which option you pick it's a bad decision it's a horrible decision <clears throat> but that led up to because of other decisions i'm sure that when he was deciding whether to move to sodom or not he knew they were sinners and i'm sure that what the men of sodom were doing to wanted to do to his guests was nothing new. Like, it says that they got together from the youngest to the oldest. This was a community practice in a sick, perverted way. This was a thing that they did, a community event. You think Lot didn't see these things? You think he didn't know about all these things that he did? they did? He knew. And by deciding to stay there, he was setting himself up for a lose-lose decision down the road. It was too inconvenient for him to move. He was making too much money being there in that city. It was too close. It was too good. He kept trading and he just hoped, well, it looks like they're not going to touch me, so I'm fine. I remember, so I remember when I was a kid, probably like first grade, first time they told me, they said, don't cheat in class. Because, when you cheat, you're cheating on yourself, right? You're cheating yourself. You're stealing from yourself. You guys heard that argument before, right? Three of you? Seriously, okay, thank you, right? And I've heard that, and in, in all honesty, I heard that and I thought, okay, I understand that, but if, and I was really bad at spelling, so I cheated on my spelling quizzes but this is, this is not a good example. Don't do that, please. But I thought, I asked myself, like, are you okay with this bad thing I'm about to do to you, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with that because it was better for me to get a, uh, a good grade to cheat on myself, right, uh, and get a good grade in spelling than to get a whooping uh, when I go home by my dad because I got a bad grade on spelling, right? So I'm like, hey, it's a calculated risk. I know this is not good for me, but it's better in the long run, right? And I'm sure that if, if someone actually sat down and said, Peter, no, it's not just you hurting yourself. It's actually dishonest, and it's bad, and, and it's, it's messed up. I'm sure if someone sat down and explained it to me that way, like the non-selfish way, I have actually would have said, you know what? You're right. Like, I shouldn't do that. But because they said, oh, the only person you're harming is yourself, I'm like, well, then it's fine, right? Like, I, and with a clear conscience, I would kind of cheat on some spelling tests. Now, fast forward to college. I'm in college, I'm taking chemistry. Loved chemistry. I know, freak of nature, right? And and it, it was just, it was amazing, right? It's, it's it how organized it is and everything. And I always sat up front, and me and my professor, we developed a great relationship, you know? Because I'd kind of answer his questions, and, and he got engagement from the class. And we kind of developed a relationship. I talked to him after class, and there was a trust, right? I remember one time, I'm taking this chemistry test, and it's this And it's super hard and I'm like very unprepared. And I'm looking and I'm just blinking. And I'm thinking, what was I thinking, right? And I'm like, I'm gonna cheat. I'm gonna look at my notes, you know? And so I start looking at my notes and I start cheating. I'm cheating and I look up and he's looking right at me. And he like walks up to me and my heart's just sinking, you know, and I just feel myself like getting red. And he's like, hey, and he just like, he's like where are you cheating and he's just looking me straight in the eyes you know and this is like a, a you know a, someone i built a relationship with a friendship with he's like were you cheating and i look him straight in the eyes and i said I said no <laughs> and he's like do you know what the consequences for cheating are and i'm like just with this bold face you know proverbs says the wicked puts on a bold face and i'm like yeah You get kicked out of class, Uh, you you fail the class, and you could get kicked out of college. And he's like, okay. He's like, so, let me ask you again, were you cheating? And I'm like, no, I wasn't cheating. (laughs) And I mean, this is embarrassing to share. And I'm like, no, I wasn't cheating. And I could just see him like, you know, he tries, he's like, I'm gonna give him another chance. And he just, that betrayal, he just, this betrayal in his eyes, and he's like, okay and he just turns around and he leaves and i just this just guilt just just overwhelms me i'm like oh i just feel like garbage right now and i wake up you know and it was like a nightmare you know and i'm like oh man that was horrible right that was so awkward that was so intense and that's when it like dawned on me so bad i'm like man I can't cheat because I'm putting myself in a situation where I'm gonna have to lie, right? And I was walking around with this feeling of like guilt and, and shame that whole day. You know, when you have those dreams, when you get in an argument with someone and you wake up and there they are smiling at you. You're like, why are you so happy? <laughs> we just got in an argument. But I was walking around with this sense of guilt and, and, I re- and something dawned on me. I'm like, man, I have to live my life always ready. To be able to stand in front of a court to be able to say this is the truth and nothing but the truth right I could get away with something but if I have to stand in a court of law and be a witness I can't lie I can't sell my integrity out right and it just completely like changed my my thinking all those things and I wish people explained that to me earlier but why do I give you this example because my thinking and my patterns of thought, like thank God, God warned me through that. But I was, you know, when when I was in elementary school and cheating on those spelling quizzes, I was setting myself up for a lose-lose situation, right? I could've not been caught, but I was creating a pattern and one day I would get caught. And then I would have to face either getting kicked out of the class or just, you know, selling out my integrity and lying, right? And so, guys, Carnal Christians make decisions that lead them into lose-lose situations. Let me give you a super practical example. We just finished with finals, right? Let's say you know your final is due Sunday night. And you didn't study all week long when you should have been. You were on TikTok, you're on YouTube, whatever it is. And then Sunday night comes, and it's almost due and you gotta pick youth or the test. What are you gonna pick? The test. And people are like, hey, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm studying for this test, right? And you come across as like this super hard worker, right? You're like, oh yeah, I'm so, so responsible. I'm prioritizing my academics, you know, I'm, I'm so responsible. But in reality, you have just put yourself in a lose-lose situation. In reality, the decisions you made earlier in the week it wasn't a surprise final, right? You had the syllabus from the very beginning of class. You knew, right? But you decided when you were on TikTok and YouTube that you're not going to do it. And that just set you up for a path of failure. Or, for example, work, right? Let's just say you get a credit card and you start just racking up all, you know, all these expenses, things you can't afford, right? You're like, oh, that's great. You know, it's, that's what this thing's for. It's this magic Eventually, the bill comes in, and you need to pay, and you need to work, and you need to work not just regular hours, but you need to work overtime. You need to work on Saturday, so you're skipping community group. You need to work on Sunday. Now you're skipping church, and you're telling your friends, oh, guys, sorry, I got scheduled to work and all that, and you seem like this really hard worker, right? You seem like this very responsible person. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm, I'm not judging anyone. Don't think that I'm thinking of anyone in particular. I'm not I'm just judging by myself, right? But if you look under the cover, there is irresponsibility. There are sinful decisions that were made that led you up to this point. Why do you need that money, right? Why do, you need, why do you need to study for the test right now and not a week ago? Same thing can happen with your health, right? All these lose-lose situations. Guys, what I want you to do is I want you to zoom out. Zoom out of this bubble, zoom out of this one day that you're living in and and try to look at your life as a timeline, as a whole, and try to see the decisions you're making, wrong decisions, small, fleshly, semi-sinful, let's call it that, right? Because they don't feel like really sinful. They're semi-sinful, semi-sinful decisions, which actually end up leading to more sin and more consequences, Because the more you compromise, the more you give into this world, the harder it will be to make the right decision. Let me say that again. Just etch this into your brain. The more you compromise, the more of these small little things that you give into the world, these semi-sinful decisions, the harder it will be to make the right decision when the time actually comes. When you're making life decisions... Don't just go for the most comfortable, the most convenient, the most profitable. Go for what will bring you closer to God. Think of the long term. When you're looking for a place to live, don't just say, oh, well, is this the most comfortable, the coolest place to live? No, is it close to a good church? That should be your first question, right? Is it close to other Christians? When you're deciding whether to get into a relationship, right, Don't just ask yourself, oh, do I like this person? Do I think she looks good? But ask yourself, will this actually bring me closer to God? Or will this be dragging me down? When you're getting a job offer, don't just look at, you know, oh, $150,000, right? And And all you see is the dollar bills. But think, how will this impact my spiritual life? What will this do to my spiritual routine, not will I make a lot of money? So recapping, Lot was passive. Two, he looked for what was profitable instead of what was right. Three, instead of running from sin, he lived around it. Four, he got caught up in the troubles of the world. And five, he put himself in lose-lose situations. Six, Lot lingered. Linger means to stay in a place longer than necessary, typically because of a reluctance to leave Context. It was the morning that God said he would destroy the city. And Genesis 16, uh, 19, 16, 19 16 says, But he lingered. Guys, this is crazy. He knew the city was about to be destroyed. And he's here, like, Oh, oh how about, oh, well, do did, did you, honey, did you pack that stuff, right? No. Did you did you pack the camel yet? No. Okay, I'll go grab it. You know, and he's and the two angels are just like standing there, like, dude, we're about to nuke this place. Like, you gotta get out of here, right? And he's lingering. Why? Why is he lingering, right? This evil city. He, he knows it's about to be destroyed. He even went and warned his son-in-laws. He even told them it's going to be destroyed. And now he's like still like lingering around. He just Lot could not let go he just he just he's like here yeah here here i'm letting go here it's like a lot let it go a lot just open up your hands yeah I, here here it's yours right and but he's not actually letting it go the carnal christian lingers these are the people that have and believe all the right beliefs they'll agree with you yeah jesus is the son of god i faith in god we got to live the right way yes amen brother they agree That they shouldn't be living they'll say yes this is wrong but even though they understand everything in here just like lot they can't seem to actually let go and the question is why why do we as people oftentimes find ourselves in the situation where we understand it fully here but we just can't seem to let it go actually, actually, from our hand, practically. And I think a big reason behind that for many of us is because we might have lost hope. Hope that we will ever be different. Hope that we can truly be on fire for God. Hope that we can overcome this sin that is constantly making me stumble. Perhaps you think that holiness is for this rare group of super spiritual people and pastors, right? And then there's the rest of us, right? Just like Lot could not deny himself and go where God called him to. He just couldn't do it. So a carnal Christian has convinced himself that unlike other Christians, I'm just supposed to get by right? That, that's just who I am. I'm, I'm just going to get by, right? I, 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 I've tried the whole thing. I tried being Christian and like really Christian and just, I just kind of, it didn't work. So I'm just going to get by this way. You guys, you guys do you, but I'm going to be who I am this way. They refuse to believe that a life of self-denial and living by faith daily is possible for them. But guys, it's a lie. It's a lie. Because you can live your life fully for God. By faith. You you can't live all of it at once, but you can live every moment by faith. You can live every day by faith. That's it. That's all God is calling you to do. Just be faithful in the little You can be devoted to him. You can move out of Sodom, away from sin before it gets destroyed. You too can be like other faithful Christians who are actually having a positive impact on the world instead of getting caught up in its drama. How? By faith. You don't need all the answers. You don't need the explanation. Here's the step-by-step, five easy steps to be a really awesome, rock-solid Christian. No, you don't need that. You don't even need to know where you are going. The Bible says that Hebrews 11:8 says, By faith, Abraham went out from his home country not knowing where he was going. He didn't even know where he was going. There was no manual. There was no map. There was no instructions. God just said, Go. Okay. I'm trusting you. Guys, that's what you need to do. You need that faith. Just take that step out of that Sodom that you're living in, just by faith. I don't know where I'm going to go. God hasn't given me a map. Take that step of faith and just follow him. Every day he'll provide. He'll provide. Abraham never came to the place, but he lived his whole life by faith, and that's all that matters. He came to the place when he died, right? And the last point Lot's legacy. You see, like Lot, carnal Christians will leave behind a legacy of regret, sorrow, and tears. All that he worked for, his entire life, all that wealth that he acquired, everything that he woke up early for, went late to bed for, all of it was swept away in one day. Just like all those people in the Soviet Union, all those times He just tried to live for that extra dollar, to have that more comfortable life, to be a little more rich. It brought no value to him at the end of the day. He might as well have not done it. We see people didn't take him seriously. His son in laws thought he was joking. He was constantly falling into the problems that afflicted the worldly people. He was captured in Sodom. For all we know, he ended up just living in some cave if you read the story of Lot, his daughters tricked him into getting him drunk, and they got pregnant through because of him. It's like a messed up story. He became the father of the Moabites and the Ammonites, who were pagan nations. They were constantly fighting with Israel, the enemies of Israel. His kids were a mess. He lost his wife on the way out of Sodom. He lost all the things he worked so hard for. That is the legacy of Lot. Passive, looked for what was profitable instead of right, running from sin. Instead of running from sin, he lived around it, got caught up in the problems. He put himself into lose-lose situations. Six, he lingered. And seven, he left a lacking legacy. So, guys, in conclusion, I want to ask you, where are you? Have you repented and turned to God? Praise God. Praise God for that. But what state is your love for God in right now? Where are you? You and God. Is your love hotter than when it first began? Or have you begun to slip into being a carnal Christian? Guys, there's hope. That's what I want to tell you. I'm here, I'm not here to cast you down. I'm here to pick you up, to give you encouragement by the scripture. There is hope. It's not even me who's picking you up, it's the Holy Spirit. Revelation 2, verse 4. Look at what Jesus tells Christians, the church. He says, But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Therefore, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent, guys, some of you need to repent tonight. Some of you need to remember from where you have fallen and repent, turn to him and says, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent guys this is a second chance god wants to give you a second chance tonight repent remember from where you have fallen where you have fallen and follow him and do what you did at first remember the love you had guys in this biblical story there's three types of people there are the unsaved just the godless right the people of Sodom doomed to destruction they don't care they just love their sin this is why God sent his son. This is where all of us are before God. God has sent Jesus Christ to live the perfect life that none of us can live. By the way, you can't live a perfect life. You can't. I'm just telling you now. I'm going to, like, destroy that hope right now. You cannot live the perfect life. You can only live by faith. In the Son of God, who did live the perfect life on our behalf, and he died on the cross, he laid his perfect life down for us so that we would not have to face the wrath of God, which the men of Sodom tasted just a tiny fraction of it when God poured fire and sulfur on them. Guys, you don't think that's a little foreshadow of the hell that awaits the judgment of the wicked. That is what awaits all who are wicked and who refuse to repent. But we can avoid that by believing in Christ. And Christ can absorb all that wrath on our behalf. Repent. The second type of people are the carnal Christians He was saved only as through fire. There was no legacy. Everything was burned up. There was no impact. There was no purpose. All of it was wasted, full of sorrow and tears. Guys, I don't want any of you to be in the first category or in the second category. I want all of us to be like Abraham and ultimately like Christ, the faithful friend of God. Abraham was literally called the friend of God. That's what a a great relationship he had with our God. He lived by faith. He acted by faith. His life was full of purpose and meaning and impact, and he was a good and faithful servant. So we have three paths before us today. The wicked, which leads to destruction. The carnal, which leads also to destruction of all things besides our souls. We will be saved, but only as through fire or the path of faith, looking to the Son of God every day, clinging to Him, living by His righteousness, a life that is truly worth living. Let's take a moment to stand and think and pray. Holy Father, I pray, I pray that You would work, that You, Yourself, would convict God, that You would give life that you would turn people to you tonight, Lord. And God, I pray for the rest of us that have believed, that have been saved, Lord, that we wouldn't waste our lives, that we would not be like Lot. We would move out of Sodom and follow after you, Jesus. Help us, God. All of us, all of us need that. Help us live by faith in the Son of God. Amen.